Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you by popular demand a short segment from my last interview with Tom Westcott, in which he discusses his opinion on the Goulston Street Graffito. This portion was edited out of the last Ripper Confidential episode since we spent the majority of our time discussing the murder of Polly Nichols in Bucks Row, but listeners on our Facebook page asked for this, and so here it is. Not to be considered part two of my interview with Tom, but a little bonus podcast. It's only about 12 minutes long, but since in my opinion Tom Westcott is currently one of the best of the critical thinkers and writers about the Whitechapel murders, I felt it deserved to be released on its own. I hope to have Tom back very soon to discuss more topics from his book Ripper Confidential, but in the meantime, I hope that you enjoy this bonus segment. What interested me about Goulston Street is an observation I've made, and, and Neil Bell recently backed this up. And I'd already written that, that chapter, but he did a poll on Facebook uh, about Goulston Street, and a lot of people were shocked to see that the poll showed over 50% of the Rippers who, who voted thought that the Ripper did not write the message. Not much over 50 but that's exactly where I would have guessed it. It's slightly over 50% now think that Jack the Ripper did not write that message, whereas 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it was just kind of accepted that he had. Yeah, I was one of those who voted for him not writing the message only because there wasn't an I don't know option. I, I, now, see, if I created the poll, I would have put an I don't know option, but that almost negates the purpose of the poll because none of us know. Um, the only people who know are the suspect theorists uh, who, like, go, well, my suspect was J- Montague John Druid, a school teacher with chalk in his pocket. So, sure, he right. wrote it. Or, you know, mine was a famous poet. Uh, I don't know that poets carry chalk, but sure, why not? Uh, or, and, or a tailor. Hers uh, was a, a, a crazy foreigner who was barely spoke English. Then, of course, he did not mm-hmm. write it. Um, those are the people who who know everything. The rest of us have to just try and figure it out. But uh, you know what I did with Goulston Street is two things. One, I wanted to understand why the shift in uh, the you know it's it's a study of ripperology itself. Why the shift in thought in the last thirty so years? Um, and I've nailed it down to a few things, uh, namely starting with Martin Fido's nineteen eighty seven book, which was a suspect book. People forget that. It was a total suspect book. Everything in there was to build a case against uh, this Jewish immigrant who apparently Fido believed could not have written the graffiti. Therefore, that's how the graffiti was presented as something that was not, you know, it was irrelevant. It was just, yeah, it's nothing. And, uh, but due to the fact that there were hardly any Ripper books at that time, and the, mo- the best ones were his and then Paul Beggs the next year, these were the best. I mean, like, they were it. Forget everything else. These were the books. When you only have, like, two Ripper books, they become a huge deal, massively influential. And then on, then they team up and start putting out A to Z. Oh, my, these were the gods of Ripperology, right? So what they said was law. And that influenced the next two generations of Ripperologists. So that is a big reason why there was a shift into discounting the graffito. Another reason is when you stop... Rational minds, like people who are rational, like you and me and, 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 and Neil Bell and all these folks, well, you don't want to be agreeing with the people who wrote the diary, you know. 
you don't want to be agreeing with, uh, you know, the final solution. And all these nutty theories, one thing they all had in common, all the nutty theories all embraced the graffiti. They said, oh, this was definitely Jack Ripper's work. Let's read anagrams into it, da 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 So the more rational groups out there, you know, like the Martin Fido, Paul Beck, you wanted to embrace them and go with them. And so your mind starts being shifted by their belief patterns. And eventually you just accept that the graffiti was not the work of Jack the Ripper. So there's that. But then I said, well, what did the original investigators have to say? So I went back and really started looking at all of them. And one of the things I don't think Fido knew when he wrote his book in 87, because so much has been discovered since, and I don't think he knew this. And I think he, he, had he known it, it might have changed how he wrote his book, is that the one person like who's, who just straight up accepted as absolute fact that the Ripper wrote the graffiti was uh, Robert Anderson, um, who, you know, of course, was his touchstone you know, with the, the whole Kosminski thing. Robert Anderson believed Jack the Ripper wrote the graffiti, um, which is which tells us not only, which tells us that Robert Anderson's willing to accept fact where we know we, for a fact there is no fact. We don't know. So that might color how we look at it. when he talks of, of, of ascertained facts about his suspect, we have to accept his definition is a little looser than ours is. And that's important. That's crucial. Um, but it also tells us that whoever Robert Anderson's Polish Jew suspect was, that person was perfectly capable of writing that graffiti. Whether he did or not is irrelevant. He was capable of having done so. So if you have a Polish Jew suspect who was illiterate or did not know English or couldn't write in a good school by hand, that person was not Robert Anderson's suspect. So that's some stuff I touch on. Another thing that I think might be new to most people is I talk about Catherine's apron. Forget the writing for a minute. There was an apron under this writing, and that is significant. Once again, this is where coincidence is brought out to explain everything away. Uh, you know, this, you know, the apron, the writing, that's, you know, let's forget it, but let's just call that coincidence and move on. And, well, it's not coincidence, maybe. You know, either it is or it isn't, right? That's a huge coincidence. This strange piece of writing on a tiny door jam low to the ground that's not where you that's not how you write graffiti it is if you're trying to hide and you expect it will be seen because there's a big old bloody apron under it so but why did the ripper cut off Catherine Edo's apron oh to carry organs away really because she had all these other sanitary napkins scattered around but also the way you cut off an apron all he had to do was cut through the string just one quick slit and that thing slid right off her body why didn't he do that? Well, the reason was, in my opinion, he needed half an apron, a portion of an apron that could be fitted to the portion remaining with her body to leave no doubt who this apron belonged to in order to qualify the writing. Right. So he cuts the, he spends, you know, precious minutes slicing through this thick apron um, when he could have just nicked the cord and walked away. So I think that's uh, something that should be considered. Uh, that has never, to my knowledge, even been brought up before. It probably has been, but I've never seen it uh, get brought up before, that he didn't just click, you know, her little apron string, but had to cut through that thick material to take only a portion away with him. 
Right. I thought I thought that uh, was int- an interesting observation, and it reminded me of Paul Stein's shirt in the Zodiac case um, in San Francisco. You know, uh, right. Of um, course, eighty years later, he was ripping off Jack the Ripper. Yeah, uh, Zodiac was. So you know, I, that's why I try not to compare those two too much, as I have to accept that. Um, the Zodiac, you know, two books were written in 1965 about Jack the Ripper. Whoever Zodiac was, he read them both. Um, I've always said if you went back to that library, I forget the, you know, where was it? Was it Sherry? No, not Sherry Joe Bates, the young lady who was murdered outside the library. Yeah. If you looked at who checked out both those Ripper books, um, probably more than once, you you might have her killer. But anyway, um, you might have the Zodiac, but they never did that. So well, in your in your book, you talk a lot about those who who believe that the graffiti might not have been written by the killer right um and you discuss um uh, maybe they were like and I, I as i admitted i voted in that poll um on that side but you you kind of um do you think that they might be influenced by criminal profiling and that the killer would have never communicated with the police. The, the killer wouldn't have been, you know, John Douglas, who's wrong more times than he's right. The, believing that the graffiti wasn't written by the killer and on and on. Whereas the way I, I came to the conclusion that it probably wasn't written by the killer. And I don't know if it, and I don't remember where I first heard it. It could have been Fido, but it wasn't so much on it being an illiterate, illiterate killer. It was more on based upon someone, maybe it was Fido. I forget who, who has extensive knowledge of Victorian history in the East end saying that graffiti writing on Goulston street, in particular because of the market that operates there would have been covered in chalk graffiti. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you, you touch on this in your book, but my, I was influenced by this idea that the, because the message was so vague um, and you, you give your own interpretation of what, what we see as what's been cut, passed down through history is the word Jew, a misspelling of the word Jews. You give your interpretation of what that means. I don't know if you want to get into that here, but, um, but that's where I was kind of coming from, in my opinion, is that, well, and I don't know, you know, I, I haven't really seen any evidence that this, the streets were all covered in chalk graffiti. They may not have been, and then I could be completely wrong. But that's kind of where I was coming from. You're looking at it logically, and and that's the that's a you know the way we should look at it. But you do make a good point in that when you see in documentaries and even in newspaper illustrations, period pa- illustrations of the graffiti, it's done at eye level. But then you you remind us of the statements that indicate it. It was just a matter of a foot or two above where the apron was laying on the ground, which mm-hmm. and the 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 length of the bricks, and how he didn't have much room to write. But you do make a great case for whoever wrote the graffiti having to crouch down and fill up several lines worth of chalk writing in order to get his message across. Which would be odd behavior, I'll have to grant that to you, to someone who put it there at an earlier point in time on something completely unrelated to the fact that a 
a four by three foot piece of bloody apron was going to be placed there later on. Well, and you mentioned Martin Fido as being an expert on Victorian London, and you're right about that. He's a much, much more of an expert on that sort of thing than I am. But and because I'm not a, a what I consider an expert on that, I turned to the what I, you know the people who were there in the street that night. Um, all of them, the people who, the cops who work, I think they're the best experts we have. And to a man, they believe that that was a clue. Some of them believed it was by the river. Some of them said, well, if you look at Charles Warren and all the other guys who are actually involved in the erasing of it, they even said it's, it's a clue. Superintendent uh, Arnold, uh, who was, the, who was the, the one who influenced Warren to make that decision, he was, the, he was the guy in charge that night. Let's get that right. It wasn't Warren. Warren took the heat. But um, Arnold even used the word. He acknowledged it was a clue, and that's significant. So if the walls were splattered with this graffiti, um, when Warren was fighting for his job, and his reputation, he might have mentioned that, but no one ever said, man, there was just graffiti all up and down Goulston Street. And he could have thrown that anywhere and it would have landed under something. That would have been the very first thing out of their mouth. In fact, all the cops would have been on the lookout for new graffiti appearing on walls. We don't hear anything about it. So um, was there graffiti? Absolutely. We saw it in Bucks Row following the murder. Someone wrote on the slaughterman's door, the murderer is here. We find leather apron is here written, you know, we, all that. But no, I don't. I don't think there was any other graffiti on Gilston Street that night, or else we might. We someone would have mentioned it. And that was, by request, a Ripper Confidential Extra Special Bonus episode with Tom Westcott. If you don't have his books, The Bank Holiday Murders or Ripper Confidential, you really are missing out. And so, go and buy your copies on Amazon today. I hope that you all enjoyed this little segment. I'd like to thank Tom and also those that requested that I go ahead and release his comments on the Golson Street Graffito. And I thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.